0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com/give. How when uh, John Baker is here, I always thank him for the ways that he has supported our church and given to us. And he always gets mad at me. You remember that? He always sits right over here and he just wishes I'd never mention him. But I think it's appropriate for us to thank people who have made significant contributions to us as a church. And so this morning I want to thank uh, David Crum for the many blessings that come to our church through David and his wife, Jill. I don't see Jill, but... David, I want to thank you. Your sons are most excellent, and they make good husbands. And I know that for a fact personally. And we see the character of you and your wife all the time here in your children, and it's a joy to us. So thank you for what you've given to us. This morning, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 15 you remember a couple weeks ago um, when we were all in the throes of discussing the CREC and the need for us to be under authority um, that we started studying this account of the Council of Jerusalem. And the Council of Jerusalem is the first what? The first ecumenical council. So you go to Rome today, to the Vatican, and they will point to the Council of Jerusalem as the first council which has absolute authority because it encompassed the entire church. Uh, It gets more difficult as as history goes on because of the division at the end of the first millennium over uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and the Western Church. Um, But in point of fact, the Roman Catholics declared that the Council of Trent was an ecumenical council And that is the reason that the Protestants and Roman Catholics are still separated, is that the Roman Catholic Church has backed itself into a corner of heresy. And if it has two choices, it can either say that that council erred, that they made a terrible mistake, or they can just continue to go down the road. And that's what they do. They will not reverse that council where they said that we, all of us, are anathema and they just anathematize us because of justification by faith alone, but not faith by itself. So, Acts 15 is the first ecumenical council, and this council, we agree with Rome, was a council that was binding on the church. Now, what caused this to happen? What caused it to happen is that um, every group that you belong to, has certain initiation rights, maybe uh, membership dues, uh, certain contractual obligations you have, things that can get you thrown out, right? And so if you think about a union, what you have to do is you have to go through an apprenticeship, right? And then you have to pay your dues. If you don't pay your dues, you can get thrown out. If you think about Boy Scouts, if you think about Girl Scouts, if you think about... Uh, every single association there is, there are standards for entry. You know, like the Daughters of the American Revolution, you have to prove that it was your great-grandmother who was named Betsy Ross and sewed the flag. And so the only people in the Daughters of the American Revolution are people whose great-grandmother was Betsy Ross. Well, it's not that exactly, but it's something like it. You you don't know this about me that one of my ancestors is Francis Scott Key. So all the negative comments you guys make about the Star Spangled Banner, I just take them completely personally, you know. (laughs) Now, let's talk about religion. Religion has always had a very interesting effect in getting very close to nationality and race. But religion is not race. And race is not religion. Now the best proof of this is the most irreligious group on the face of the earth today. And what group is that? It's the Jews. Almost no Jews are religious Jews. If you ask them, they'll just tell you. Miles Brandt, I was in a meeting with him here, and he was asked, he was meeting with the religious workers on campus. He was asked, what, what, what is your religion? And he said, well, I'm a non practicing Jew, right? He was a president here a few years ago. And so if you look at the Jews and you say, okay, so how can you call yourself a Jew if you're not practicing? That shows the difficulty of separating race, nationality, and religion. The Jews are so intense about their Jewishness that if you are a Christian Jew, you don't have the right of return. And so you have non-religious Jews saying that if you're a Christian Jew, you may not claim your homeland to be Israel. But they're non-religious. So what do they care if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Now, it's nice to talk about the Jews, but let's talk about America. In America today, still in the South especially, Christianity is the accepted religion. A huge amount of our country makes no sense if you don't know that our country from its inception was a Christian nation, right? All the laws that we're getting rid of, what is the thing that they have in common? all of them reflect a Christian origin. And so what our country is busy doing is de-Christianizing our country, all right? And so then you go into a little Southern Baptist Church, I had to say Baptist, all right? In the South, and it's 4th of July or or the Sunday closest to 4th of July. What do you have? Well, what you have is the melding together of patriotic Americanism and Christian faith. You all with me? You'll have America the Beautiful. You may not have the Star Spangled Banner. Batter. That was pretty funny. You'll have um, God Bless America. Yeah. And then you'll have a sermon. What? Well, it's going to be something patriotic. And it's very hard to separate your nation from your religion. Okay? And when you look at the Mideast and what they think of Christianity, it's entirely based on what they see in the pornography that we send overseas through the internet and our television. And so to them, Christianity is pornographic. It is the horror of Babylon that we read about. That's how Muslims see us. All right? Because they don't make a distinction between America and Christianity. Now, why am I talking about this? Because it's very important that we realize that to be American is not to be a Christian, and to be Christian is not to be American. They're separate things. Now, that does not mean that I'm opposed to America having laws based on the Christian faith. No, not at all. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But I never get confused that by standing up and reciting the Pledge to Allegiance I am doing the work of God. As a matter of fact, my father always opposed prayer in public schools. Always. And it just drove all the conservative religious people crazy. Because they were so angry, the Supreme Court had taken away prayer in public schools. So why did my dad oppose it? The reason he opposed it is he didn't want anybody that taught in a public school leading his children in prayer. Now think about that. That makes a lot of sense. You know, if Linda's the exception that proves the rule, let's look at the rule. Right? Now, put yourself back 2,000 years ago. All right? Which is Israel? Is it a nation or is it a religion? And do you separate the two? That's why they call the Old Testament Israelites a theocracy. Because it was literally a kingdom of God. All right? And so when Jesus came... And Jesus poured his blood out for the forgiveness of our sins. When he was righteous and then suffered the penalty of our sins, Jesus purchased for himself a people. Now, what people did he purchase? He purchased the Jews. Right? The people, are you ready? The people who, come on. The people who lived, come on, make me think better of Campus Crusade. Come on, you memorize scripture, the people who lived in, come on, the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. Who were the people in darkness? Well, the people in darkness weren't the Jews. They Theirs was... word of God. Theirs was the Passover. Theirs were the, the rock that gave forth water that was Jesus Christ. Theirs was every gift of God. You know, the people that walked in darkness were us, the Gentiles. And what did they refer to us as? Well, when my father was growing up in New York City, you know what they called him and us? Goy. And the person that came and lit the candle, if you'd forgotten to do it on Friday, and it was the Jewish Sabbath, was called the Sabbath Goyim. He was the dirty man that did the dirty work for pay that you had forgotten to do as a Jew. Right? Bob's looking at me. I'm glad he can't talk. (laughs) He'd probably be telling me all the mistakes I'm making because he's a Jew from New York. All right? Now, remember what I said. It's impossible to separate race, nationality, from religion. All that we want to do all the time is make them the same. It's also impossible to separate family from religion. We want to make them the same. We do not want God to trump any of our precious relationships. This makes sense to everybody. And so, motherhood is precious. Fatherhood is precious. And that's why we are, are you ready for this? Patriotic. And the root is what? Pater, Greek. And it means what? It means father. Father. And so as we hold to our mother and father, so we hold to our fatherland. We are patriotic. We love our fatherland. Now, Jesus comes. He is the great light that the people walking in darkness have seen. Upon them a great light has shone. And so Gentiles come to faith. And this is a thing unheard of across all history. The people of God, everything about them was set up in such a way as to make the distinction clear between them and the Gentiles. Everything, starting with their diet, to whom they could marry, to the way they worshipped, to everything about their lives, to how they, how they washed, everything was to make them separate from the Gentiles. Okay, And all of a sudden, Jesus comes... And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Okay? Now, how proud do you think Jews were at the time of Christ? They were about as proud as Americans are. If you're an American, you have an American passport, and you try to get from one African country to another African country, you're going to be harassed. Because you're an American. And every pride in you as an American is going to come out of you. How dare these people? I'm an American, you know. If they want to do this to Ugandans or to Rwandans, that's fine, you know. But I'm an American, right? The Jews saw us one and raised us a thousand. The Jews were unbelievably proud because to that point, their country... And God had been the same. And all of a sudden, God pours out his spirit and pours out faith on the dirty. Okay? The dirty. Now, Jesus gave us a hint of it because remember how his whole life, what did he do? His whole life, he hung with the sinners. (laughs) The dirty. So the people Jesus associated with were the dirty and the people he constantly rebuked were the clean, namely the religious leaders. All right. So now what happened with Jesus again and again with individuals where, Simon, Simon, I came in your house and you didn't wash my feet, you didn't do this and that, but this woman, since I came in, has not stopped washing my feet with her tears. And so you see this happening again and again and again with Jesus and now... God pours out his spirit on the dirty. Okay? Okay? Can you imagine how disruptive this was to the Jews? Okay? You all with me? This is the context for the fight that develops in Antioch. Because here Antioch is, and it's a church filled with dirty who have come to faith. And the clean do what? The clean don't say, praise God, look at the grace and mercy of God. It's far beyond anything. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, what they do is they say, yet one thing, and then you will be clean. You need to be Well, actually, not just circumcised. You need to, to obey the Mosaic law. And what are they doing? What they're doing is they're clomping all of the Old Testament law on to the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. And so they separate out the issue of circumcision because it's, shall we say the most, shall we say, you know, it's the thing that most obviously you have skin in the game, right? I mean, it's, it's flesh. If there's one thing that's going to show that you now have become a Jew, it is what defined proselytes becoming converts in the Old Testament, which was when they were circumcised, then they became Jewish. All right? God's sacraments are always like that. They always have to do with skin body, flesh, okay? Now, let's read our text. And I'm going to read the whole chapter, even though we studied part of it, because I want to get the whole flow. Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas... Had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent away on their way, sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of whom? the Gentiles, and were bringing, and what should you think whenever you read the word Gentile in the New Testament? Yourself, that's right, and what else? You should think dirty. Not, I'm not meaning to be disrespectful, but that's just how the Jews would have seen it. And when they heard the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren, and just the great joy is indicative of how unexpected it was. Great joy comes when you're not expecting something that's unbelievably good. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now you see this. They need to become Jews. They need to be circumcised, and then they need to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, we know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. When did Peter go to the Gentiles? Do you remember? Remember Cornelius? Remember Cornelius the Gentile? And God showed Peter that he should not call any food clean. Unclean. Remember, the sheep from heaven. And so God used Peter to open up faith and Christian faith to the Gentiles. So that's what he's talking about. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us, And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So guys, listen, you've got three people standing together here and all the people are quiet. Who are the three people? They're Peter, they're Barnabas, and they're Paul. Barnabas is the son of encouragement, all right? Peter is the one that needed to be resisted to his face and Paul's the one that did the resisting. You remember that. Why did Paul resist Peter to his face in front of all the people? Because Peter was eating with the Jews and turning away from the Gentiles. But here, what's Peter doing? Here, Peter is standing with the Gentiles. So this means that you, dear brother and sister, are absolutely normal to be right one moment and horribly wrong the next. All right? So don't feel like there's something wrong with you. There is, but it's normal. Look at Peter. He's like, this way and then he's this way all right just wanted to point that out you don't have to pay me for that one after they had stopped speaking James answered saying brethren listen to me Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name with this the words of the prophets agree just as it is written now what is he quoting it's simple, the Old, the Old Testament. And so in other words, they're now making the case that the Old Testament prophesied that the Gentiles would be brought in, right? After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The rest of mankind and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, and from fornication, and from what is strangled, and from blood. Now, what's missing from that list of four things? Circumcision. You don't catch on because you're busy looking at the four. But that means circumcision is not required. All right? They told him what's required. Circumcision is not required. All right? For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas and Silas leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. The, this, is, this is wonderful. I wish we could change it. Don't you, aren't, doesn't it irritate you to sometimes have to turn over three pages to find who wrote you? You know, They had the habit of putting who wrote the letter at the very beginning. All right? The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles... Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. <sniffs> Guys, that's pretty intense. That's not positive, right? That's kind of the whole, the whole nine yards right there, right? It seemed good to us having become of one mind, and what a sweet statement, having become of one mind. Do you know what marriage is? Marriage is having become of one mind. And if you stop fighting, there's a problem. Because having become of one mind happens in marriage the way it happened here. Did you notice the intense debates that were going on here? Don't think you're sick. Don't think you're going to be divorced like your parents if you have a fight in marriage. And if you want to say a discussion, that's fine. I say fight so that you have freedom to get angry. Okay, Having become of one mind. You know, the Lord didn't just zap them and all of a sudden the dissension went away. They had to fight about it. Did you see all the statements about great dissension and arguments and everything? It's hard work to be united. It's hard work. It's okay. It's hard work for us as a church. You wouldn't believe how hard the, not this elders meeting, but the previous one was. <sighs> okay. And, and it wasn't hard work because anybody was punching anybody. You know, but it was hard work because everybody had an opinion, everybody felt strongly about it. Including, last meeting, two men who normally don't ever take strong stance. And do you know who they were? And they were the last ones to speak. Wayne Huck and Brian Bailey. (laughs) And I was the moderator of the mess. All right. Now, where am I? It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So remember I said earlier that verse uh, 24 was negative and there's not much question left about the battle after verse 24 where they condemn the men that have come up, you remember that? Now here's the positive, look at what a wonderful statement are made about, do you see that? Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how Paul ends the book of Galatians? Do you remember that? I think it's one of the sweetest statements of all of Scripture. Because at the end of the book, he says, from now on, he says, don't hassle me. Don't give me trouble. Back off. Because why? Because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What were the marks? It was suffering. And so that's the very thing that's used to commend Paul and Barnabas. These men have suffered for the cross of Jesus Christ. They've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. In other words, we're sending along some other men from our group just so if Paul and Barnabas report to you, you can't just say, well, they're just coming back and telling us what what they want us to hear, right? So here are these other men. Nope, nope, what they're saying is, is that's accurate. That's the accurate report, right? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden and these essentials. You abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, remember, religion, ethnicity, race, and they're all bound together in us. All of us want to act as if to be born a Bailey is to be a Christian, right? And a lot of the battles over paedo-communion and whether you baptize infants or don't are battles that need to be looked at in the context of how you keep it clear that to be a Bailey is not necessarily to be a Christian. In other words, what Spurgeon used to say is something about God doesn't have grandchildren. Well, that's a little deceptive because God does say he will be a God to us and to our offspring. And so God does have grandchildren, but he doesn't have one grandchild who has not repented and believed in Jesus Christ. Not one. Well, if you're a grandchild who who wants to sort of be accepted as a Christian without repenting and believing, how would you do it? Well, you'd point to baptism, right? You'd point to the Lord's Supper. You'd say, well, I I have the sacraments. And what are sacraments? Sacraments are the things that God has ordained that keep us from just blathering on with our mouth, talking about our heart all the time. So if you think about evangelicalism, evangelicalism is blather, 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 blather. Jesus in my heart, you know. I feel special, you know. I get tingles in my spine. Blather, 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 blather. And evangelicals have lost any concept of the sacraments. But God gave us the sacraments so that the church would not be simply invisible. God gave us the sacraments to make the church visible because sacraments have to do with flesh. You can listen to me and claim that I helped you and I was uplifting and everything, but who knows, you know? Why are you laughing about it? Was it the word uplifting that made you laugh? Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You can say that I, that I really was helpful. All right. But who knows whether you really believe I was helpful. But when you come to this table and you take the wine and you eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's death. And it's obvious And this table is a place where there should be harmony between the church invisible, what's in your heart, and the church visible, what your body is doing. And that's why people that are uh, hypocrites uh, attach such importance to the sacraments because they say, well, I've been baptized, I take the Lord's Supper, I'm a Christian, right? But there's not necessary correlation. Otherwise, why is it that the prophets talk about those who have what? Circumcised foreskins without what? Circumcised hearts. Okay? So we don't throw out the sacraments. They mean something. But we also understand that the church visible and the church invisible are not one and the same. There are many, many on that day who will say, Lord, Lord, do you remember what Jesus said? And he'll say what? Get away from me, I never knew you. And how will they say, I said, Lord, Lord, well, I came to the Lord's Supper. I proclaimed your death week after week. I brought all my children. I was faithful to do it weekly. I got as much grace as I possibly could from the Lord's Supper. And he'll say, get away from me, I never knew you. Now, in the Old Testament, the circumcision was a sacrament. It was a moment at which the church, visible and invisible, were to be one and the same. The body was to be marked, signifying the covenant of grace. Alright. And, and, if, and if you're a Baptist and you, and you want to deny that, go to Romans. It explains the meaning of circumcision. It was spiritual. It, it was fleshly, but it was spiritual. Now, this issue comes to Antioch and people want to say, look, if you people are going to come in the church, you're going to have to come in the same way we came in. You're going to have to be circumcised, and then you're going to have to live by the Old Testament law. And there's a huge battle. And when they come, they're they're purporting to represent the apostolic mother church. All right? And so a huge battle breaks out, right? And how do we know a huge battle breaks out? Well, if you look at the first verses, some of the sect of the Pharisees, it's necessary. And so the apostles and the elders came, and after there'd been much debate, so we see much debate there, we look before, at uh, chapter 15, verse um, uh, 2, and it says, when, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. So it says much debate in Jerusalem. It says great dissension and debate. All right? This was intense. And so when it comes to the apostles and elders, I want you to notice a couple of things about this. When they were received by the church, it says in verse 4, When they arrived, they were received by what? The church, and whom? The apostles, and whom? And the elders. And this is the thing I really want us to focus on. That God ordains that there be officers in any. I mean, you can't escape authority. I always used to note to people that when... The National Organization of Women gets together, I think, every four years to elect a president. There's always fighting over who the president is going to be. So if feminists really didn't believe in authority, why do they fight over who gets to be the top dog? And what about the issue of of Ms. Magazine? Well, when Ms. Magazine publishes, every single time it has a masthead. And the masthead lists every single person, and it starts at the top and it moves to the bottom. It's not just all on the same level, all right? And the people that are most important at the top and the people that are least important are at the bottom. And every single relationship has a big dog. Every marriage, whether it's uh, over in, in the Far East or here, every single couple has someone who's the leader and someone who's the follower. You, can't, you get two people together, you have a leader and a follower. All right? It's just like, true. And so in the church, there are officers. And the officers mentioned here are whom? They're the apostles and the elders. But it also mentions the church. And I want you to notice that the interplay between the church and the officers is how God makes things clear. I just want that nailed into our heads. If you're in a church, like one was described to me recently by a couple uh, brothers who are going to a church down in Louisville. And this is a church led by a man who's been accused of being a dictator and having absolute authority in his movement. And they describe the church that he's planted recently to me as a church where they never know anything about the budget, they never vote on it, they never know anything about what the inner workings of the church are. And that's bad. You might get tired of us telling you the bad things with the good things. But the wonderful thing is you wouldn't believe how helpful you are afterwards when you send us emails and talk to us. Imagine, why do so many elders boards of Presbyterian churches today have women in them? I mean, nobody thinks of this, but I know it because I've worked with women elders for the first eight and a half years of my ministry, or the first 10, 12 years. We had women elders. Why do you have women elders? You have women elders for two reasons, because men get tired and don't want to do it. And the second reason is because men won't listen to their wives. And so every church that has women elders or women in the elders meeting, they're not elders, but they're there as consultants, you know one thing is true. And that's that the elders and pastors don't listen to their wives. It's true. Because when women are listened to carefully, and then their opinions are given weight by those making the decision, you wouldn't believe how much more wisdom there is. And it's an idiotic man who denies it. Now, you're wondering why I yelled that, because my whole life I'm dealing with people that think that to be biblical means that women are stupid. You know, they don't believe in their women going to college, and they don't believe that the husband should talk to the wives about what's going on in the elders meeting. It's just so stupid. Do any of you know your mother? Come on. You know your mother? Should you listen to your mother? Most of us would say, absolutely, right? Right? And so when it says the congregation, do you think that because it calls them brothers that that means that the women aren't listened to? Oh. you imagine Eric Rasmussen without Helen? I mean, that's a horrible thought. <laughs> you know, right, guys? Come on, the kids can say yes. I'm right, aren't I? Yeah. I mean, think of how much humanity Helen brings into the home. <laughs> now I'm only picking on Eric and Helen because it's pretty safe, you know. And and I could keep going. I mean, imagine Carol without David. What if Carol didn't listen to David? Now, I could keep going. What if Wayne Hook didn't listen to Joyce? I, I was writing on the book this last week, which is what I do, I write on the book. I don't write a book. <laughs> I write on the book. <laughs> you know, I was writing on the book this last week and I wrote up this, this confrontation that Joyce Huck had with me. Okay? Where Joyce Huck rebuked me. I wasn't even talking to her. You know? I was minding my own business. I was at the copier and she was next to me. And that woman said, I think Taylor needs more time with his daddy. I wasn't talking about Taylor. As a matter of fact, I was, I barely exchanged pleasantries with Joyce. I had my face to the wall, she had her face to the wall. I don't know what she was doing talking to me. And I looked over to see if I'd heard what I thought I heard out of her. And Joyce looks over at me, and Joyce goes like this You've all seen that look in Joyce, right? You know? Not a word out of her mouth, just I done did what I needed to do, and now. It's up to you, dude. <laughs> now, why am I talking about this in Acts 15? The reason I'm talking about this is, number one, fighting, we can't get away from it. We are fallen. And we are always trying to get a leg up on other people. We're trying to browbeat them, we're trying to mark them with our own nationality, our own thing, okay? And and, and it takes hard work to have unity in a marriage and in a church. Okay, it takes hard work. Did you see the elders moving this morning? Did you hear them moving? Why did they move? The elders moved because they've argued, you've argued, you've argued with them, they've listened to you, we've argued. And now we're thinking, you know, let's go in a little bit of a different direction. This applies to parents and children. This applies to husbands and wives. This applies to boards of school. It applies to school teachers. It applies to the classroom. If you have a professor who is oppressing the students in that classroom, it is your obligation to rebuke him or her. Now, how you do it, there are certain ways in every one of these spheres where we need to stand up for God and his truth. In this case... Paul and Barnabas were not being sinners when they argued intensely. They were not sinners when they appealed to a higher court. All right? But I want you to just chill out about arguments. Every single person today is so intimidated by arguments that it just can't be right because it feels so wrong. And consequently, what happens is evil reigns because evil thrives when people are not willing to stand up for truth. Do you understand this? (sighs) This last week I went crazy when I read the news item that our president said that Republicans should stop hating. Now I know Republicans hate, Democrats hate, you know, we hate. There's a point. But when we're debating about the limits of constitutional authority of the White House, for heaven's sakes, grow up. Everything isn't personal. And that's what you need to do on Facebook. Stop talking about how you feel and how other people addressed you, whether they used the right doctor whether, whether they whether they know you suffer and all this petty crud that should not corrupt communication when principles are at stake. You understand that. They didn't go up to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem sent a message back like most fathers do. He's like, would you kids stop fighting in there? What if they had sent that message back up to Antioch? Would you guys stop fighting? I have this church I go to when I'm up in Michigan, and I'm writing on the book. <laughs> All right. And and every time I go, they have a sermon, and whoever is in the pulpit, it can be any one of the pastors, and they're always haranguing us as the congregation to stop fighting. Does it ever do any good to just tell people to stop fighting? No, because almost always there's a principle. And what you really need to do is Argue about doctrine. Now it is true, some fights are just simply the selfishness of the husband and the pigheadedness of the wife. And there's no principle at stake. It's all pride, it's all emotion, right? But a huge number of fights will only be resolved when truth is vindicated. And you won't have any unity without truth. And that's what none of us want to admit. We all want to act as if everything's personal. My feelings and your feelings. And you people just need to stop hating. And it's just pathetic. There are principles at stake with leading a country. There are principles at stake in the Constitution. There are principles at stake in the Supreme Court of the United States. There are principles at stake in the Senate, in the House of Representatives. There are principles at stake in your mother and father going into another room as they argue. And we need to believe that truth matters. One of the preliminary principles adopted in the 1700s by the Presbyterian Church in America was, there is no doctrine more pernicious than that which holds that it is of no consequence what a man believes. Truth is an order to goodness. So, be chilled out about arguments. Do them charitably. You know, don't raise your voice if you can help it. But if you raise your voice, it's not the end of the world. Just say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have raised my voice. That's not difficult. Okay? But fighting over truth is the way unity and peace are restored. Okay? Doctrine doesn't divide. Actually, doctrine unites. (laughs) All right, now, the second thing is... Realize that all of you, everyone, has a voice in the church. And you see this here. The church, the congregation, keeps showing up. Why have the congregation show up when you're dealing with an issue so weighty as Judaizing? Why would they make a point of inserting the congregation? Wouldn't the apostles themselves make the decision? I mean, why do they even need the elders? But now, you see, the apostles, the elders... And the church are you with me and so what you need to believe is that in a marriage where you have a father who is the head of the home and a mother a husband and a wife this does not give you the freedom to diss your wife and to not listen to her now can I have an amen from all the men who are husbands in this room amen. okay is it true I mean, I don't need to ask the women. (laughs) I need to get an amen from you men. Okay? To be an officer does not mean that you're a dictator. It does not mean that you don't have to listen to people. Okay? Your wife is the greatest gift God ever gave you. Listen to her. Now, If you do something that's sinful and you say, well, that's what my wife told me to do, I say, you're pathetic. Because women will often be wrong. Have you noticed this, men? All right, all right. (laughs) All right, women, have you noticed this? Come on, lover, tell them. Tell them about how difficult it was for you to have me standing for discipline in our home. Very difficult. But now at this age, she says that's one of the things she's most grateful to me for. Okay? So leadership and authority and unity, arguments, truth matters, you listen, and then the state of the art is what? Well, we realize that the Constitution says everything perfectly, or no. You're left with state of the art is what? It it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. (laughs) I just get such a kick out of that statement because it just doesn't feel real secure, you know? The entire history of the church rests on this. And all they're saying is, and notice how short the letter is, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And listen, when it seems good to the Holy Spirit, it better seem good to us. And life is human. Okay, life is human. We fight. I'm not trying to get you to go home and fight all this. Some of you have had a fight, if the elders would come, please. Some of you have had a fight that you have not been willing to have because you don't have faith. Any, any, any couples going to? cop to that one fight be kind tenderhearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ Jesus forgave us but do your work okay do your work and listen to your wives I think I'm okay now women did I do okay Hey, I I wish I was in a black church right now. Come on, did I do all right? Oh, you guys. I'll bet when you get home and get into it with your husband, you're not going to be so quiet and demure. All right, all right, all right. Okay, I'm done. You can all rest easy now. Let's come to the ward's table.